0: Good morning everybody. Good morning. Hey, so it's uh, great to be here this morning uh, sharing what um, I feel God has placed on my heart. Um, so Heavenly Father, just, I just pray for, for your empowerment this morning. I pray for your boldness to speak your word and may the words that come out of my mouth not be mine, but be wholly inspired words of you, Heavenly Father. Amen. Okay, so my title for today is Holy Fear or the Fear of the Lord. And certainly we're living currently in a fearful time, I would suggest, Um, with all the things that are going on around us, all the uncertainties. um, There's a lot of fear in our societies and in our individual lives. So I don't really want to concentrate on that. I want us to look at holy fear and the fear of the Lord, because I believe that Any kind of earthly fear that comes from um, the circumstances in the world around us can be swallowed up in the fear of the Lord if we submit ourselves to Him. So, initially, what I want to do is, oh, wrong way, apologies, is to look at what fear is. So, I am not a linguistic, I'm not a grammar scholar. Um, I've just gone to the dictionary, and fear as a noun is an unpleasant emotion caused by threat of danger, pain, or harm. As a verb, it is to be afraid of someone or something um, that is likely to be dangerous, um, something that might be painful, or something that is likely to harm us. So, um, looking at the Greek and the Hebrew words, so the um, Hebrew word for fear... There is Yira. Um, No, sorry, I've completely lost my place. So certainly the first bit is looking there at um, fear in our worldly sense. Let's look then at what it means to be fearful of the Lord or the fear of the Lord. So in terms of looking at the word fear that is used in the Bible, the, the Hebrew word Yira means fear, but it also means reverence. It also means worship. It also means awe. And the Greek word phobos, which our word phobia comes from, is a cause of terror or fear, but also a reverence and respect. And as you can see there, the word awe, we quite often use the word awesome. Oh, awesome! That's really great. But actually, we've lost the meaning of the word awe and awesome Awesome is something that is extremely impressive or daunting and inspiring. The Welsh word for awe is actually arsoid, which directly means terror. So when we say awesome, are we actually saying terror? I think we've lost the meaning of the word awesome, especially when we um, refer to our Heavenly Father or to God in terms of awesome and awe. So why do I feel that um, God has placed the fear of the Lord on my heart? Well, I found this scripture from Deuteronomy. Deuteronomy 10, verses 12 to 13. And now, Israel, what does the Lord your God require of you but to fear the Lord your God, to walk in his ways, to love him, to serve the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul, and to keep the commandments and statues of the Lord, which I am commanding you today for your good. So God requires of us to fear him. In the same way that we walk his ways, that we love him, that we serve him with all our heart and soul, that we keep his commands and statutes, he wants us to fear him. But I want to make it clear here that the fear of the Lord is not the same as our earthly understanding of fear. That fear, this terror or frightened of of something harming us, that is completely different to the fear of the Lord. The fear of the Lord drives us towards God. Whereas that kind of fear of, of something terrible happening, that tends to send us away from God. Especially if we have that picture of God as that um, tyrant that's sitting on a throne looking down on us and, and ready to punish us at the first opportunity, that is going to drive us away from God. But the genuine, true fear of the Lord, that awe and reverence, that draws us towards God. That pulls us close. And in fact, it's a fear of being away from God. That's what the fear of the Lord is. It's fear and it's a terror of actually being away from our Heavenly Father. So say fear is not being afraid of him, although in some respects we should be afraid of what he can do to us at the end of our life if we have not given our life to Christ. But the fear of the Lord is being reverent, having that awe, having that wonder and being terrified of being away from his presence. Now, those of you that know your scriptures very well, um, you can just turn to Proverbs and the Psalms, and there are numerous verses about the fear of the Lord. The fear of the Lord is clean. It's enduring forever. The rules of the Lord are true and righteous altogether. Let all the earth fear the Lord. Let all the inhabitants of the world stand in awe of him. And we know that the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom and the knowledge of the Holy One is insight. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge and fools despise wisdom and instruction. The fear of the Lord is hatred of evil. Pride and arrogance and the way of evil and perverted speech. I hate Fear of the Lord is the fountain of life that one may turn away from the snares of death. And I love this one that the fear of the Lord leads to life and whoever has it rests satisfied, he will not be visited by harm. And this is just a snapshot of of just quickly going through Proverbs and Psalms. Um, If you look through Proverbs, there are so many more um, Proverbs that relate to the fear of the Lord and what the benefits of the fear of the Lord will give you give us. But then there's these verses. It's all the same verse but it's different translations and this is in Psalm 25 verse 14. The friendship of the Lord is for those who fear him and he makes known to them his covenant. The Amplified goes even deeper as you would expect. The secret of the sweet, satisfying companionship of the Lord have they who fear, revere, and worship him. And he who shows them his covenant and reveals to them its deep inner meaning. Wow. Do you want to have that deep, intimate revelation of who God is? And what his covenant is to you. Then you need to fear the Lord. Because he shares those with those that fear him. Those that fear God are his friend. The Lord confides in those who fear him. He makes his covenant known to them. So do you understand that the level of intimacy that you experience with God lies within your own hands. If you're sitting here this morning feeling that God is distant, where is God? Why has he forsaken me? He hasn't forsaken you. His promises are true that he will never leave you or forsake you. But sometimes we do feel that God is distant. We search for him and we can't find him. But that level of intimacy that we experience and can experience with our Heavenly Father lies within our own hands. This verse from James says, draw near to God and he will draw near to you. He stood there, his arms are wide open, he's waiting for us to come to him. But we have to take that first step where we make that active choice to draw near to God and he will draw near to us. So why is it that sometimes we do feel that God is distant, that his his presence is absent? And why is it that sometimes we feel that tangible, heavy weight of his presence with us? Well, the truth is, is that God is omnipresent. So God's power and knowledge extends to all and every part of his creation. He's present everywhere. In Psalm 139, David asks, where can I go from your presence? If I go up to the heavens, you are there. If I make my bed in the depths, you are there. So God is omnipresent. We can't run away from God. We can't hide from God. There's nowhere that we can go from his omnipresence. But there's also that tangible presence of God where we feel the weight of his presence. The Hebrew word is shekinah. It's the dwelling or settling presence of God in a place. And the Greek is theophany, which means to encounter a deity, manifest in an observable and tangible form. So why is it that we don't feel this tangible presence this this weight of the lord why is it maybe that we don't see miracles every day in the new testament miracles were being performed left right and center jesus was busy working his miracles i believe that jesus is still working miracles today but often in the western world we don't tend to see them why is that now I'm going to share with you some of my thoughts, what I feel God has imparted to me. As with everything, test it. Okay, We're told in scripture to test uh, what you hear, especially from the pulpit. So test what I'm saying. But these are what I believe God has given me as an insight. These verses from Matthew. Enter by the narrow gate. For the gate is wide and the way is easy that leads to destruction, and those who enter by it are many. For the gate is narrow and the way is hard that leads to life, and those who find it are few. Now we know that the minute you give your life to Christ, that doesn't mean that you're onto an easy ride. In fact, some might say it's actually harder. The minute you turn to Christ, life kind of gets tougher. It's an uphill struggle. It's a steep path. Mountains get in the way. Rocks kind of trip you up. And sometimes we might even fall off that path. But actually, that is the best path to be on. That is the path that we need to be on because Christ is there with us. He's carrying us and he's leading us through. But as you can see there, we've got this narrow path leading up this rocky mountain with these two massive kind of caverns on each side. And I believe that if we don't stay on that path as we're commanded to do, that we can fall off to one side which could be legalism, and for some of us that might be that we have to work for our salvation, that we have to strive to earn our place in heaven, that nothing we do is ever good enough, that we've just got to continue to strive and work and everything becomes legalistic. I have to read my Bible at nine o'clock in the morning, otherwise God's not going to love me anymore. I have to go to church, and I have to do this, and I have to do that, and I've got to do the other. But that's not the Christian life. That's not grace. The other side is lawlessness. But also, we've got liberalism, pride, complacency. Liberalism means that we just take the word of God and we just expand it. We make it fit what we want. We make Jesus into the mould of our Jesus. Some people might say, yeah, Jesus is Lord of my life, but that's my Jesus. My Jesus might be different to your Jesus, but I'm going by my Jesus. Pride scripture tells us that God opposes the proud okay again I'm not a linguist or um, somebody who understands grammar fully but opposes that's that's an active word that's not that's not passive God actively stands against the proud complacency yeah whatever yeah, I go to church, just because it's what I do. I rock up. Oh, I'm leading worship, but hey, it doesn't matter if I haven't practiced. doesn't matter if I don't actually know what we're singing. I'll just turn up and I'll, I'll rock up, and it'll be fine, because Jesus is there. The Holy Spirit will lead me, and it'll be all great. But it's the slippery slope. You become complacent. Your conscience becomes seared. Those little niggling tweaks and and punches to say, actually, nah, this isn't right. You should be doing this. You ignore them. Then you become proud because, hey, I got through that worship session on my own because, ah, it was amazing. I hadn't practiced, but I still did it. Look at me. And it expands into this liberalism that's like, oh, well, yeah, Jesus is great and I can do whatever I like because Jesus forgives me. And ultimately, that is lawlessness. And often some of these things, I'm not saying it's always, but often it's because we fear man. We want to keep up appearances. We want people to think that we're great. So we do these things so that people like us, so that we're loved, so that we look good. But again, Proverbs twenty nine twenty five says that the fear of man lays a snare, but whoever trusts in the Lord is safe. So as I say, it's a very narrow path that leads to righteousness. And if we fall to the one side of legalism, we do have an antidote. And that is God's love and God's grace. We don't have to get up at six o'clock in the morning to pray for six hours. Because God's grace is there for us. God loves us. When we do get things wrong, we can repent and we can turn back to God knowing that we are forgiven. The antidote... To lawlessness is the fear of the Lord. And I believe that this lack of fear of the Lord that we see in our cultures, and dare I say it, within our churches, means that we often don't get that manifest presence of God. Why would God descend when we're a rebellious people, when I'm here complacently just playing my guitar without understanding what I'm doing. When we're serving God, we are serving the Lord of Lord and the King of Kings. We're serving the Lamb, but we're also serving the Lion of Judah. He's Abba Father, but he's also the consuming fire. How dare I come into the house of God complacently and just think, ah, be fine. This is the King of kings and the Lord of lords. So why would he come in when I'm just blatantly being complacent and just taking his name in vain? Taking God for granted, dare I say. And yes, I'm guilty of it. I often come in on a Sunday, I don't want to be here, but... It's what I do. I'm an elder, so I've got a safe face. I've got to do it. I need to have that fear of the Lord to keep me in that reverent awe, that right place of standing where I actually understand who He is and what He has done for me. So, what evidence is there for the fear of the Lord? Can you look at a single person and say, that person has the fear of the Lord? Okay, well, I believe it's obedience. There's many different aspects, granted, but the main one that came to me is obedience. To look at a person who fears the Lord, you see their obedience. And it's an obedience that is instant, So if God asks us to do something, we do it instantly. We obey God when it doesn't make sense. How often does God place something in your heart and ask you to do something and you think, God, that doesn't make any sense whatsoever. Why would you want me to do that? That we obey God when it hurts. Again, if we fear God over men, then sometimes what He asks us to do is painful. So we need to obey God even when it hurts. And more than that, when there's no visible benefit. We're all human. We like to have something for something. We know there's some, not, never something for nothing. But if I can see the benefit of me doing this, then yeah, okay, I'm more likely to do it. But if there's no benefit that I can see for me by doing whatever God is asking me, why would I do it? Because I fear the Lord. But also obey to completion. So don't just start the task and then say, actually, nah, this is too hard. can't do this. Okay. So I believe that this is part of what we see as the evidence of um, fearing the the Lord. And I say some of these are tough. You know, when it hurts, why would I? If it's going to be detrimental to me, why would I do it? Because God is asking me. And I believe that, again, we're back to this narrow path, that God's love and God's grace are what empower us to obey to completion. It's the fear of the Lord that motivates us to obey, but it's his love and grace then that empowers us and enables us to see that through to completion. And by the way, delayed obedience is not obedience. I'll do it tomorrow, Lord. I'll do it when, when I feel like I can do it. I'll do it when I can see the benefit maybe of doing it. When the sun shines maybe, you know. I don't want to go out on the streets and talk to people when it's raining. But when it's sunny, yeah, I can catch a tan. I just also want to bring this verse to attention, because God brought it to my attention. Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but the one who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. On that day, many will say to me, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name and cast out demons in your name? And do many mighty works in your name. And then I will declare to them I never knew you. Depart from me, workers of lawlessness. Chilling verse. And again, we're back to that word lawlessness. And lawlessness basically indicates that we're not in submission to the authority of God. We have become our own authority. I decide what I do. And it's thought that some might use the word Lord or the term Lord. They're like, Mr. It's almost like, Mr. Mr. As opposed to Lord, Lord of my life. Saviour God. Now I'm just gonna ask, is that true of some of us here today? We're using the terms Lord Jesus and Lord God in prayers, in our general church speak, but in actual facts by our actions, we're showing that God and Jesus are not Lord of our lives. Coming back to this verse in James, draw near to God, and He will draw near to you. Anybody know what the second half of that verse is? Okay, is the next verse, second half of this verse, says this: "Cleanse your hands, you sinners." Purify your hearts, you double-minded. So yes, the level of intimacy that we can have with God, with Jesus, is in our own hands. But we have to cleanse our hands. We have to purify our hearts. We need to not practice lawlessness. We need to fear the Lord then He will draw near. And if this whole uh, this, this, this verse is put into context, context, it's all about warnings against uh, worldliness. What causes quarrels and what causes fights amongst you? Is it not this that your passions are at war within you? You desire what you do not have. So you murder. You covet and cannot obtain, so you fight and quarrel. You do not have because you do not ask. You ask and you do not receive because you ask wrongly to spend it on your passions. You adulterous people. Do you not know that friendship with the world is enmity with God? Therefore, whoever wishes to be a friend with the world makes himself an enemy of God. Or do you suppose it is not the purpose that the scripture says, he yearns jealously over the spirit that he has made to dwell in us, but he gives more grace. Therefore, it says, God opposes the proud and gives grace to the humble. Submit yourselves, therefore, to God. Resist the devil and he will flee from you. Draw near to God and he will draw near to you. Cleanse your hands, you sinners, and purify your hearts, you double-minded. Be wretched and mourn and weep. Let your laughter be turned to mourning and your joy to gloom. Humble yourselves before the Lord and he will exalt you. Okay, we live in an adulterous world. We're an adulterous people because of the communities and the society that we live in. But we have the answer, church. We have Christ as our Lord and Savior. And if we have the fear of the Lord as well, we can cleanse ourselves. We can humble ourselves before God and know that he will exalt us and his presence will be among us. And hopefully we all know that we're going to be judged. We are all going to face judgment. Not a single person is going to escape judgment. And we're talking eternal judgment, which is mentioned in Hebrews 6 two, which is the final judgment of God. And this is going to be the judgment that is going to decide our state for eternity. For those who have put their faith in Christ and have accepted him as Lord and saviour, they will spend eternity with God the Father, Son and Holy Spirit. Amazing. But for those who have rejected Jesus as their personal saviour, they're going to spend eternity in the lake of fire. The judgment seat of Christ, that is for the believer, that is for Christians, and that is for um, the purposes of receiving our, um, not gifts, our crowns, I guess, okay? For we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ, so that each one may receive what is due for what he has done in the body, whether good or evil, So even as Christians, we know our eternity is safe, but we're still going to be judged on what we do, be it good or evil. Eternal judgment looks at where we're going to spend eternity, but the judgment seat of Christ looks at how we are going to spend eternity. again I just want to share another passage that God gave me that according to the grace of God given to me like a skilled master builder I laid a foundation and someone else is building upon it let each one take care how he builds upon it for no one can lay a foundation other than that which is laid which is Jesus Christ Now, if anyone builds on the foundation with gold, silver, precious stones, wood, hay, straw, each one's work will become manifest for the day, judgment day, will disclose it. Because it will be revealed by fire. And the fire will test what sort of work each one has done. If the work that anyone has built on the foundation survives he will receive a reward. If anyone's work is burned up, he will suffer loss. Though he himself will be saved, but only as through fire. So again, I'm coming back to this complacency. As Christians, we know our salvation is safe. We know that we are going to spend eternity Praising God in the throne room, singing our praises for eternity. But are we going to receive a reward? Or are we going to get through the gates of heaven, all singed and smouldering? We might get there, but we might be just as if we've gone through fire So, the question I'm going to ask this morning is what is your response? Do you think I'm talking rubbish? You may do, and that's fine. These are not my words that I've been speaking this morning. This is what God has prompted me. If I've made anybody feel uncomfortable, I'm sorry from Sharon's point of view. But from a heavenly point of view, tough. What will be your response? Have you never given your life to Christ? But maybe this morning feel, oh, I need to do this. Have you ever been practicing lawlessness? I need to repent be that intentional lawlessness or be that kind of a slippery slope that you've kind of fallen into because you're deceived are you deceived and do you need the Lord therefore to open your eyes to your true state to the true state of your heart before God are you seeking that intimate relationship with God Are you desperate to experience his manifest presence for you and with you? Then what is it that you need to change in your life in order to be able to achieve this? And I could throw many, many more questions out. But what I'm going to do is I'm going to ask you all to close your eyes just for a few minutes and just ask the Holy Spirit to reveal to you what your response needs to be this morning. Heavenly Father, Oh, well, we praise and we worship you. We thank you that you are Abba Father. That you are all loving, all gracious and all merciful. And that you tell us that there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. But Lord, we also know that you are the consuming fire. And that all our words, deeds, and actions will be scrutinized. And we will be judged accordingly. But Father, we want to stay on that narrow path. We want to stay on that path, neither falling to the left nor the right and hearing your voice behind us telling us the way to go. So Father, I ask now that you reveal to each and every one of us the things that need to change, the action that we personally need to take in order to be on that right path. What I'm going to do is, I think people keep your eyes shut. And if I can ask the music team to come back up. And I I feel it's important that we actually ask for a response this morning. That if you feel that God is prompting you to respond in any way, I'm not going to ask for the individual responses, but I feel that we need to acknowledge that. So as the music team start to play, I would ask you just to raise a hand in acknowledgement that God has spoken to you this morning. Please don't be complacent and leave this place this morning without responding. So just raise a hand if you feel prompted. Mm-hmm. Heavenly Father, I just thank you for these individuals who have heard your spirit within them this morning. that you will lead them to knowing where to turn next whether they need to speak to somebody or whether it's something that they just work through with you Jesus but thank you that you're here in our midst thank you that we know that we can rely on you that you are the same yesterday today and tomorrow Father you may be the consuming fire